Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to interview some of the most influential people involved in the fishing world today. Here I learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both on and off the water. Juan del Carmen is an international man of mystery. Well, that might be a little extreme, but he is definitely a person who has a story to tell. Originally from Spain, Juan moved to Australia as a young man. With hard work, he became a certified casting instructor and earned the role of technical director for both the Spanish and English teams in the Fly Fishing World Championships. Myself, as an angler who has never even entertained the idea of competition on the water, I had a lot of questions for him. I invited him over for dinner to see if I could learn more. I tell people I'm from Papua New Guinea. Is that where you're from? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's kind of a break, break people. It's like a break in the eye. I say, where are you from, Papua New Guinea? Oh, oh really? And I say, no. <laughs> it's, I, I'm from Spain. I'm from Pamplona. Where? Pamplona. The running of the bulls. Ah, okay. Everybody knows where the running of the bulls, the city. Yeah, That's the Spanish Pyrenees. Right. Yeah. But isn't that interesting enough, saying I'm from Spain? I mean, that sounds just as cool as Papua New Guinea to me. I think it's cool when you say, especially here in Australia, you're from Pamplona, you know, because everybody knows where Pamplona is, the reign of the bulls. Oh, okay. Spain Got is, yeah, it's a big, a big place. So you, you say you're from a small city in the world and people know about it, and they've been about it, it's more, I think it's more special. But do you run with the bulls? Yes. You run with the bulls? Yeah, I did, yeah, a few, few years. Uh, okay, I'm going to just... I'll get back to fly fishing later. Tell me about running with the bulls. 
Well, you want to know. <laughs> well, what's it like? I mean, what? Why? First of all, why do people run with the bulls? That's a very good question. Um, I, I think you need to get into into the festival. The festival is nine days, okay. so it's nine crazy days where you have fun. So, why you run for the with the bulls? I think it sometimes is for experience. So I'm going to do it to see what was it, you know, like what, what, do, what do we, I don't know, what do we do crazy things sometimes just to try, you know, once you try it once, oh, it wasn't a good idea, and you don't do it again. But how long have people in Spain been running with the bulls for? A uh, long time ago, a uh, long time ago, I think it was as the, uh, the, the 20th century, this one really started, and Ernest Hemingway, Yes, you know, start write, writing, writing about it, and it become very famous. Right. Yeah. Ernest Hemingway used to go all the time to Pamplona, do a lot of party, and you know, be there with the bulls, and then go fly fishing. You know, and beautiful places, just thirty minutes from the town. Now, when you say fly fishing, is this saltwater fly fishing? No, uh, freshwater. Trout. For trout. Trout. Yeah. Are they indigenous? Yes, it's native, native from Spain, brown trout, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So, you were born in that town? I can't pronounce it like you do. Say it again slowly. How do you pronounce it? Pampelona? Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How do you say it? Pamplona. Pamplona? Yeah, that's it. Okay, so you grew up there. Yeah. And I would imagine that you started fly fishing there. I started fly fishing there, correct, yeah, in the Pyrenees. Yeah. Do a lot of people fly fish in Spain? No, when I started, but, uh, but, you know, more and more people get access to videos, magazines, taco, mm -hmm. and it becomes more popular. May I ask how old you are? No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can ask, yeah. How old are you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 45. Are you really? Yes. Oh, wow. You you have a very young face. I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so tell me about the sense. So you're born in Spain. You start fishing in Spain. Yeah. When did you move to Australia? Yeah. I, I moved to Australia because uh, the people that used to teach me or still teaching me when I go to Spain about fly fishing, um, they used to catch big fish. Ah. Like big fish, we're talking about seven kilo, six kilo, five kilo trout. Quite, quite normal. Right. But with the pressure, with the quality of the water, with the, you know, with all the dams that they build, that big fish is still, you know, it was less and less of them, you know, very rare. And sometimes you get it in the newspaper, yeah, seven kilo, eight kilo trout, you get it there. And if you go to some some of the bars in Pamplona, some of them they have a big trout, like a nine point two kilos, huge, huge fish in there. And all these guys, like one of the masters is uh, Carlos Apilicueta, is a very good friend of mine, a master casting instructor from Pamplona as well. And he used to tell me all those stories, but crying because he used to catch those fish, but they don't come, they can they don't catch them now because they're not there. So I really thought, because my passion, obviously, was fly fishing, and, and I thought I was born in the wrong time, mm -hmm. wrong year. This is, I should have, were born maybe 50, 100 years ago. You should you have know? been there with Hemingway. 
Yeah, yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, that would be crazy. I huh? know, I know. So I thought, oh, that's a shame. And I used to go fishing a lot. I used to go every weekend. And instead of going to uni, I used to go fly fishing. That sounds familiar. Yeah, sounds, yeah. yeah. I used to... My, my parents don't speak good English, so I don't think they will get to know this, but <laughs> I used to keep my car, I used to keep my rods in the car all the time. They weigh, the, they weigh this in the car all the time. And on Wednesdays, I have a friend of mine, he have, his name is Pedro Munari, he has his own business. Yeah. He used to pick me up and we used to go fishing every single Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I left with no more clothes, I changed in the in the uh, outside, you know, and come home with uh, how was you? Yeah, was great. <laughs> so I learned. I really learned a lot. I really did like an intensive fly fishing course when I was there. Right. Um, I remember that the first time I saw somebody fly fishing, I was on the bus and I could see the river in the Pyrenees because the roads they go very close to the rivers, so uh-huh. you, you 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 drive. And you can see the river quite often. Yeah. And there was a guy doing fly fishing. I said, oh, what's that? So you could see the flower in the air. Oh, wow, 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 fly fishing. What was that? And someone said, oh, you catch more fish. I mean, fly than anything else. I said, oh, I want to do that. <laughs> so... And uh, how old were you then when that happened? Do you figure? No, no, I'll tell you. I was probably maybe 15. Oh, okay. Good age, yeah. Yeah, good age, yeah. yeah. And then I said, who is going to teach me? Who? Who? Exactly. <laughs> Who? Nobody. My, nobody f- that I knew fish. And I thought, oh, what can I do? And, and I joined a fly fishing club. Oh, okay. This is interesting. Yeah. But I was the youngest. No car. No money. And nobody to take me fly fishing. So I said, oh, I'm going to tell these old fellows to teach me. Right. You know, this young kid, what he wants to do. I take, take me, take me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they just ignore you in a way, you know. But when you are an adult and you have a young kid asking you all the time and I, I know you so much, you take him fishing one day. Right. right. So that was your strategy, just harass them? I, no, I didn't have a strategy because you, when you are young, you don't have a strategy. You, you do things now. Yeah. That would be my strategy. I'm thinking, what can I do? I can do this, I can do that. But in those days... That's what I had to do. Oh, that's what I did. I didn't think about it. Right. I want to say, okay, I tell you, I tell you. So it took me fishing, you know. <laughs> and I was brilliant, you know. I catch, you catch nothing. They catch all the fish. You spend all day in one pool. You catch nothing. But he, he can lay down. He catch three fish in front of you, you know. So I think, oh, okay, I'm not good at this. But these guys are good at it. <laughs> and slowly, every single member of the club, all the good guys, they used to take me fishing. I used to share all the secrets with me. Oh, that's nice of them. Yeah, but I said, but don't tell anybody to Pedro. Or don't tell anybody to Javier. I don't tell them. You know what I mean? (laughs) But these are the flies, but don't show them there, you know? And I used to learn from each person, but I didn't, I couldn't share with anybody. Because it was, okay, what I learned from you. So I learned a lot. Right. In a a very short period of time, I learned a lot. (laughs) So, yeah, and that's when I decided to say, well, I want to do more of this. Okay. So when does Australia enter the picture? Australia entered enter the picture very early at a geography lesson at the school. Ah. Oh. Yeah. I studied at the G Suite, like only boy, 
boy, boys, boys schools. Right. So no distractions, no girls. Yeah. So we just focus on what you need to focus. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, did you go to a uh, boys schools? I went to a public school. So no, a boys school, boys and girls. Oh yeah. So yeah. lots of distractions. Oh yeah. If you saw where I grew up, you would see there were a lot of distractions. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But don't worry about me. Go back to this. So you're in a non-distracted environment in a boys' school. Yeah, and I, and I and I and I and I saw Australia on on the map. Oh, yeah, on the map. You know, you talk about the typical, you know, the flora and fauna and all that. And I was thinking, oh, that sounds very interesting, but it's so far away. Mm-hmm. So somebody could make it up that this country exists. You know, put in the picture. <laughs> yeah. you, you, are, you are, you know, you're talking when you are a young kid, you know, a little kid, and I was thinking, ah, oh, maybe, maybe it's not true. So I just started slowly having the desire to go to Australia. Oh. Little by little, you know, and I started, ah, oh, and then when you, when I turned 16 and 17, that the idea was getting more serious about it. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to Australia, I'm going to Australia, I'm going to Australia, I'm going to Australia as well. Everybody knew I was going to go to Australia in Pampora, all my friends, but everybody, when are you going? When are you going? When are you going? In the meantime, I discovered Australian uh, New Zealand trout. Because oh. I heard there was a big trout in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that sounds better. So I'm not going to Australia. I'm going to go directly to New Zealand. Because you were you were attracted more to the trout than the saltwater species. Oh yeah, no, no idea about saltwater. Mm-hmm. Only only with the on the marinas when I used to go on holidays with my parents, just with the floating and, right. and maybe the sinker, but fly fishing just for trout. Right. Trout and pike and barbel and black bass. Okay. Um, so I decided I come to I come, I go to New Zealand. And when I was in the military service, a good friend of mine sent me a letter from Australia. I said, Juan, I'm, I'm here. I'm in Australia. It does exist. Yeah, it does exist. Because I told him many times I was going to go and he, he, he came before, right. before myself. And I said, no, I'm not going to Australia. I'm going to New Zealand. And he said, oh, look, there is a visa. It's called Working Holiday Visa. I already got it. Why don't you get it? You spend one year in Australia, and then you go to New Zealand, and then you can work. So that sounds pretty good. So, there you go, I came to Australia. I went to the airport, this friend of mine picked me up with his girlfriend, and we went from Sydney airport all the way to Vaucluse, where my friend used to live. Okay. And just before Vaucluse, I saw a fly fishing shop. Australian fly fishermen. Yes, yes. I think this is unbelievable. I'm going to be there tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I could, I could not believe, believe that. So it was like a, a dream come true. So I went to the shop. I couldn't I speak in English, you know, just very basic. And, and the only thing I understood is it, it, it was a fly fishing club, the Sydney Fly Brothers Club. So I went to the club, a lot of people, a lot of people. I met one person. One. And I understood zip, nothing. Not a word. Right. 
So I'm thinking, oh, what's this? But next month, I went again, when I met two guys. But I understood nothing. And I think I went to the third meeting, and I met maybe one more guy. But you were living in Australia I was living in Australia, in Sydney. Were yeah. you working? I was, I wonder what it was, I was, yeah, I was working, yeah. So yeah. slowly learning English a little yeah, bit? Yeah, slowly learning English, yeah. But the thing is, I remember I went, <laughs> I remember this, I forgot. I, I was looking for accommodation and I went to a house to see, if, you know, and I could understand everything what the guy was saying. Everything, but this is unbelievable. And the guy said, I'm from Canada. You said you're from Canada? No, he was okay. from Canada. <laughs> so I couldn't understand absolutely everything, but the Australian accent, I couldn't, I don't know why. Ah, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't get it. So, yeah, so that, that, that's what I did. And then um, I bought a motorbike because I was told that Australia is such a big country that if you want to go fishing, the fish is not next to the road that you have in Europe. You just really need to go a little bit off-road. Mm -hmm. And I bought, a, I bought a Kawasaki Kayala 650, one or 650, yeah, big, big, big bike. And yeah, and I went, I, went, I went fishing with the bike. So that's pretty ballsy. You decide that you're going to come to Australia. You can't speak any English. Oh, I couldn't speak English. But just a little bit of English. Well, look, enough. I, I, did, I did study at the school. I studied French, English, and at university we studied French and English as well, but... You know, sometimes you don't understand the jokes or the people talk too fast or the slang, you know. Right. Even I have a hard time understanding their slang still. Uh, so, is it scary? It's scary? Um, no, it was excite exciting. It was a challenge. Yeah. So then what happens? Did you continue to go back home every year? No. Did you, I mean, you've obviously gone home since. Well, yes, <laughs> but the, the, first, the, the first time was three years. Wow. Did you travel elsewhere? Did you go to other places in the world? Or no. did you just stay in Australia? No, what, what was happening is when I bought that bike, I went to the Australian fly fishing to the shop. And the, the owner was uh, Greg Jones. Oh, I know Greg. Yeah, and, I, I, and, and I said, Greg, Greg, I want to go fishing. Where can I go? And Greg said, oh, I just go to the Snowy Mountains. I said, where about? He said, oh, Threadbow River. So good. Where about in Threadbow River? I said, any place in Threadbow River. I said, no, 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 no. Tell me the place. Well, Juan, look, Threadbow River is a great river. One of the best rivers in the Snowy Mountains. Any place in Threadbow. Mm -hmm. I said, no, 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 no. Greg, tell me a place. Juan. <laughs> any place in Threadbow is good. And I go to the point and say, Greg, you tell me the spot. And you know what he told me? What? The camping ground. <laughs> yeah. Where everybody goes, okay, go to the diggings. Are you surprised? No, I didn't know that name. The diggings, go to the diggings. So that's the spot. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I got my bike, I think it's about six hours right there. So I went in in the evening, go. I saw the, everybody in the tents there. I got my bike. I was another gate, went through the gate, pound my bike, living in the river a bit away from the people, so I just start fishing. And I, and I hook a rainbow, oh. but I could not land it. I, have it. I didn't have a net. It was, you know, it was going crazy. Go to the right, go to the left, splashing the water. I could not physically get it. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And I couldn't understand why those fish, they fight so hard. So, and after a few, I realized, ah, they're wild rainbows. Oh. Because in Spain, we don't get to fish for wild rainbows. But I thought they were indigenous. Browns. There's no rainbows in Spain? Or no, or no originals from Spain. They're stocked. Yeah. Got it. That's a big difference between big wild difference. and stocked rainbows. Huge. The way they fight. Yeah. The, the, the size of the, of the fins. Everything. Yeah. So then what happens? Well, I was over the moon. I couldn't. I got a lot of fish. I think I got maybe 16 only in, in a couple of hours. It was really good. And you know, have, have you had this? This is the last cast. You know, when you fish for a lot and you need to go home. And the you, infamous. The last cast. Yeah. <laughs> have you had that before? Of course. <laughs> well, this was the last cast. Okay. The actual last cast? The actual, or yeah, yeah, number yeah. 10 last No, no, cast. this was getting dark. Okay. <laughs> it was serious dark, and I, I didn't know what I was. I had to be the last one. Right. Last cast, you drive flight, cast there, retrieve, nothing, okay? And now you're going to leave the road just to, like, attack us, put the fly in the hand, yeah? Something on. And I didn't know. So I hook a fish without knowing. You know, typically they took the fly, I didn't know. Maybe 10 seconds later, ooh, I hook a fish. You know those one of those crisp, huge brown. And I went to the shop. There was a few people in the in the shop. I said, great, great, that was fantastic. Oh, great. What did, what did you, what did you, and I said to Greg, Greg, I use the Spanish flies and they work. And everybody started laughing. What? And Greg said, shh. So what was that? You know, it's a Spanish fly. He said, no, it's a Spanish fly. It's an aphrodisiac. I said, oh, okay. A Spanish fly is an aphrodisiac? Yeah. Ha, uh, I'm confused. Yeah, me, I was confused too. <laughs> so uh, apparently that's... It's, and where do I get one of these? <laughs> uh, uh, one, the real one? No, I'm just <laughs> messing around. <laughs> but if the real fly I catch fish, I have a lot of them. The other yeah. one, I have no idea. So, okay. So let's talk a little bit about Spanish flies, not the aphrodisiacs. Mm -hmm. We'll wait till we're done recording to talk about that. Spanish flies, the actual fly, mm -hmm. are we talking nymphs right now? Or are we talking... Wet. We're talking wet flies. Wet flies. How do you fish for trout in Spain? What, 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 I tell you, what the people like to do the most is dry fly. That's the most enjoyable, the most preferable way. But obviously, when it's cold, because in Spain you can fish, you know, all early spring and it's cold, so it's not many eclosions. So we have to use nymphs or wets, because the fish are not on the surface. Or if you go to deep pools, we use streamers with sinking lines, mm -hmm. but not many people do that. Well, how big are the rivers there? You get some rivers that are very little, a little stream, so the big of the rivers are very bigger. Uh, you compare them with, uh, with, to give an idea, the, the average river in the Pyrenees will be, I don't know, maybe, if I have to say meters, maybe 20, less than 20 meters okay. wide. Yeah, still pretty, it's a pretty decent sized river. Well, Downstream is bigger, upstream is smaller. Right. But you know, you can easily cast from one side to the other side of the river. Right. Easy. 
So I think I read somewhere that you were part of the Spanish fly fishing team. And I thought that you were the, the captain. Mm -hmm. And you got back to me and said that you were the director. And I thought I'd wait till I had you here to ask you more questions about that. What is the director of a fly fishing team? Well, a small director is a technical director. In France, they call it the conseiller. So just the person that gives advice. That was 1999 here in Australia. So, oh. so they knew I was here. Great. So they saw the opportunity to say, well, this guy speaks the language. This guy is a guide. He guy, this guy can help us. Right. So they contact me and say, can you help us? And I say, yes. Brilliant. Yeah. I don't understand competition and fly fishing, and I was hoping that you could help, help me wrap my head around it. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where when I bring it up to, to people in the sport, there seems to be mutual confusion. It almost feels like there's some people who totally understand it because they've participated in it, mm -hmm. and then there's people who think the idea is absurd. Can you explain to me what happens in a competition and why people compete, what the benefits are to it? Okay. Well, why people compete? It could be depends of what team. There are some teams uh, where the selection criteria is up to one person. Let's say I have money, I love fly fishing, my country doesn't have any structure for competition. Hey, I want to take a few guys from my country fly fishing. I pay for it. And you come to be you, 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 and you. Ah, oh, okay. So why is that guy in a fly fishing world championship? Because he knows the captain or the guy, the manager, the, the, the rules, the team, and I've been invited. That's what that person, for example, is competing. Another person could say, well, I'm comp competing because I love competition. But competition is... Um, mixed of many things. Be with different people around the world, imagine that. Go to different countries, fish for, fish for different species, different rivers, different techniques. Just imagine that you are very good at your local river. Yeah, you're pretty good at your local river. And then you change the valley so you go to a different place and you're not good at it. Mm -hmm. What would you think? I would think I had a lot to learn. Yeah. It'd be very humbling. Yeah. And then you think like, well, I catch a lot of fish at home. Well, I don't catch anything here. What was that? Well, because it's not your local river. Yeah, but, but is there a river? It's a river, but it, that's a loaded question. So, I don't know. I don't know what I'd be thinking. I'd think I had a lot to learn. Just picture this. You in Canada, you catch a lot of fish in your local river. You go to Iceland, and you catch a little or none. Right. So what was the next step? I buckled down and start figuring it out. How? By putting time in on the water. Yeah, you done that already. I'm not catching many fish. So what's the next step? Well, that depends. Am I in the middle of nowhere, or can I get to a pub where all the guys are? Yeah, and start yeah, asking questions. Then you have a car, yes. Yeah. With petrol. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd pro if I had some time there, I'd probably start asking around. Exactly. And who are you going to ask? The guy in the pub that said, "Yeah, 
or they got a fish every day. Well, the guy in the pub drinking the beer after he's been fishing every that's day. That's it. That's it. <laughs> you got it. So if you hang around with the best angler of town, what are you going to learn from that person? But so wait a second. Maybe I don't understand competition. So in my head, now again, I'm totally ignorant with competitive fly fishing, and that's mm -hmm. why I, that's really why I wanted to chat with you mm -hmm. because you know a lot about this. Mm -hmm. In my head, this is what I see. I see every country, for the most part, having a fly fishing mm -hmm. team. They go into wherever the venue is to be held, say in mm -hmm. Australia. They team up with somebody like you who knows local knowledge. And they go from there to try to win the competition. And I think they do it, there's different ways that they can measure success, right? So either mm -hmm. you catch the most fish or the most weight in fish, how do they... they, 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 they if you want to know more about it, it's, it's, it's a website, Fibsmoosh. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of rules. They're probably the best way to explain. Okay, yeah. so it's it's it's. I we could we could talk about a long time about this, but yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of variables though in yeah, winning a competition. After a few, yeah, yeah. But I don't know if I would, I would compete to want to travel to see more. Mm -hmm. That would be a great reason, but I wouldn't. I don't know how to phrase this without sounding like an asshole. Go for it. We no, can cut. We can cut. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to figure out a way to be able to introduce my listener to competitive fly fishing. I'm not talking about competition here. I'm okay. talking about knowledge. Right. So you think that people get into competition because they want the knowledge? I just want to picture you in a situation. Yeah. When you go to a river, you don't know how to catch fish. How are you going to get that knowledge? Yeah, you're going to spend time in the river. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go. But don't you think it's more productive to be with the best angler of town? Yes, of course. Aye, well, that's what we're talking about, competition. If I'm going to a competition, and I'm very good at my, in, in my river, and the best local guy, mm -hmm. and I move the region, and I'm not good at it, what am I going to do? I'm going to hang around with people that fish better than myself. Because if you're the best guy in town, you're not going to learn. Your level is going to go down. If you are the worst, the, the worst guy in town as a fisherman, your level is going to go up. So fly fishing, for, for me in particular, I'm after knowledge. Mm -hmm. So if I go to a river and I really know how to fish for it, and I'm very good at it, okay, what's my next level in that river? Learn more. Yeah. And it's going to be one day that you think you know everything and you catch nothing. And you have a lot of fish taking flies. You, you don't know what's going on. What's going on today? I don't know what's going on. And then you go your little net, you, you, you inspect all the insects and you see all that, you try all that and nothing, 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 nothing. And it's just getting dark. It's almost no light. And you pick up one of those little tiny red Insects, oh, I have one of those, you put the fly, the dollar fly, you make three cars, you catch three fish. So that knowledge is priceless. So you achieve it, you put in your, in your little notebook, I learned this. So maybe you have an opportunity, maybe next month, maybe next year, or maybe in the next 10 years. So if you are aware of, you are capable to record all that knowledge and put it in your memory box, you will become a very, very good angler. 
So in your experience, because obviously you know a lot of these guys who are in the competition. I know, I know the best in the world. Do they, in your experience, do you find that they're there because they want to learn? Or because they want to compete? Well, or is it a mixture of both? Well, I, 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 think, I, think, I think you... The, the, the will, the, the desire to learn has, is compulsory to improve in life. Mm-hmm. I have three kids and I know exactly when they don't want to learn, the first thing I do is stop. I say, okay, what are the benefits? Is it worth it? Yes, and they're going to do it. But if you say to me, that is hard, or that, well, hard. What's hard? Hard, 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 is, hard is not the point. It doesn't matter if it's hard or if it's easy. The question is, is it worth it? I'm going to Canada. Is that hard? Yeah. It's expensive. Yeah. Is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Yes. Well, I don't know anybody. I don't know. I don't speak the language. Uh, the rivers they're going to go through saying, oh, look, I'm going to uh, Charles and April. They're going the best time of the year. They take me. Yeah, of course it's worth it. Right. So competition fish, fishermen, some of them they fish for their for their ego, you know. It's, it's, it feels good when you, when you win and you do well. Other people they fish to be better anglers, but I think the majority fish for the combination of those factors. Oh, that's interesting. I'll admit I've always been a little bit judgmental of it, and it's it's something that. I have dabbled in a little bit. I fished in New Mexico with one of the guys who was on yeah. one of the teams in the States. He took me to one of the, the streams in New Mexico mm-hmm. and taught me how to do check nymphing, yes. which was extremely eye-opening for me, and, and it taught me a lot. Mm. And he really surprised me because he was incredibly humble, and he was one of those guys there to learn. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that you hear a lot of people criticize is the sport having competition in it. And I've always been a little judgmental thinking that there should be no competition in fly fishing, but when you phrase it that way, it just sounds more like it's a competition within the angler themselves. It's the angler competing with themselves to try to learn more to be better. What's your take on criticism in competitive fly fishing? Look, I I work with people every day, and I work in an office Monday to Friday, and I normally deal between 15 and 20 people a day. So I see engineers, doctors, people all around the world, different careers, different ages. And, and when people come to me every day, they tell me their dreams, their goals, their aspirations, their challenges. But people come to me and tell me their, 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 their solutions. I have a problem, this is a solution. So I learn a lot every day from people. So with that wisdom I collect every day, I use it on my personal life. Mm. And that wisdom, I share it with other people. And I believe that 90%, 90% of people in life that you're going to meet in your circles, they're going to bring you down. Or they're going to try to bring you down. Not on purpose, but it's just nature. Because if you do well in life, it's because probably you're making the right choices. You're making the effort, you're doing the work, you probably have a strategy. And if you do well and I don't do well, 
I'm going to compare myself with you. Normal. Your neighbors were close, okay. And I'm going to see, ah, oh, you're doing well, I'm not doing well. And I have two choices. Number one, I pick up my game. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to do exercise. I'm going to eat well. I'm going to practice more my fly casting. I'm going to spend more time in the river. I'm going to fish with people that fish better than myself. I'm going to research. I'm going to do more things in life. I'm going to look after my kids. I'm going to look after my wife. I'm going to spend less time in the pub, more time with the family. You know, that kind of investment. That's one choice. Or bring you down. Oh, April, no, don't do that course. What for? You know, it's hard to get a job in there. Ah, no, stay, stay more in the pub. No, just, just don't, don't go home yet, you know. So what's, what do you think is easier for me? To bring you down or pick up my game? Well, it's always easier to break people down. Have you read The, the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? No. I am going to lend you my book because everything that you just said is what his philosophy is. He says that we all have an ego and we can't help that ego and that ego equals resistance. So the resistance is, is telling you that you shouldn't do something and the more it tells you that you shouldn't do it, the more you have to go and do that. So you see this at work all the time. Yeah. As far as fly fishing goes, do you see a lot of that in fly fishing? Yeah, all the time. Look, well, I, I'll give you an example. I've, I've been teaching fly casting for 25 years. When I came to Australia, I just you know, start, you know, you come to Australia, no contacts, no English, you're already in a disadvantage. So what can I do in this country good? And you're thinking, what can I do good? What can I do? Ah, teaching Spanish. I think that would be a good role for me. I can speak the lingo, the Australians probably they speak with different accents, I, I, I could succeed here. So I just, when I came, I just built, a, I created a, um, a Spanish school, oh, cool. a Spanish academy. Yeah. And then people say, oh, can you teach me fly fishing? Can you? Yeah, yeah, take it there. And you start taking people, oh, that's really good, that's really great. And, oh. and people want to pay me money, I say, no, no, don't pay me money, <laughs> I pay you for free, you know. And one day you're thinking, oh, I could get some money doing this. And I was working 13 hours a week, earning a lot of money. I have my four-wheel drive, big four-wheel drive. I had the time. It was a great life. And, and then I, I met some guys that are professional uh, instructors. And they said to me, oh, why, why don't you belong to an organization? You know, that's, you put, oh, okay, what do I need to do? So you need two sponsors. Sponsors? Yeah, two people from the organization already that they want to say, yeah, we like you or we, like, a, how do you call it? Like, a, They vouch for you. Somebody could say, you're cool. You know? Okay. You know, you know like, a, you, I'm already a member of this club, you need to, how do you call it? Like a, this is to get into the club? To, no, to get into the association, like casting association. Wow, okay. So one of those, yeah. And I say, okay, what else? Oh, you need to do this course or blah, blah. Okay, that's good. And one of the guys was telling me bad things about a person that was member. Oh, he's not casting well, he doesn't know what he's doing. And I'm thinking, I don't want to belong 
to an organization when you get your badge, but is that what 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 does that mean? What does that badge mean? Nothing, because if you have it, people don't say good things about you teaching skills. Right. So I'm not interested. Right. So I spent many 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 years learning from masters like uh, Simon goes with. I learned from Mel Krieger in Shreya. I learned from you know the top of the top. You know the you know uh, John Horsey in the UK and Howard Morgan and. Uh, what is um, Andy Murray in oh, in, in England? So I just hanging around, but but fly fishing. Uh, Pascal Cunard, three times gold medalist. So I've been very very fortunate to be able to meet all these wonderful professionals, right? And learn from them. And then I say I don't need to I don't need to get any tickets or any yeah badges yeah. And it was about a couple of years ago when I heard about the triple F, you know, that is certified. And, and I, back of the mind, I was thinking, well, I don't want one of those again if they're not going to say good things about it, you know. Right. Because I mean? if you're part of a team, you want to be part of a team where you're loyal to each other. Is that what I'm getting out of this? Yeah. You don't want to trash talk each other. Yeah. I mean, if, if you get your master's degree in business and I get my master's degree in business, you and me, we went through the same challenges. Right. So, right. Yeah. You, you pay your price to get it. So I say, oh, April, April didn't get it. Somebody gave it to her. Oh, well, it's not good at it. Yeah, it takes away from the merit of it all, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So then what happens? You decide, you know what, I'm going to get my Federation of Fly Fishers certification. Yeah. And you worked at it. Yeah, it worked hard. Mm -hmm. And I realized that was very beneficial. Mm -hmm. And I realized I could not succeed without help. So I got masters like uh, um, Tony Loda, spent good time with me. Um, Peter Moss spent mm -hmm. good time with me, like for over for over the years. Uh, Peter Heist spent time with me. Uh, I got encouraged with uh, from Brian Henderson. I got encouraged for a lot of people. I probably live a lot in in, in the middle, but uh, basically, yeah, yeah, go go on, go for it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I and I have I have to listen to them and I have to learn from them because. One thing is know what you do, cast. Another thing is be able to explain and demonstrate or, or use all your knowledge in a small sentence. I wasn't able to do it. I had to be taught. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you are a professional guide as well. Mm -hmm. what, what do you guide people? Steelhead. Why? Why? Because I love watching their faces. Of? Ex enjoyment. But you like to watch their faces of? Of excitement. Of the people that you Of the people, yeah. That's it. So yeah. you're a giver. You like to give. Yeah, I'm not one of those people though. When I watch a YouTube clip of somebody catching a fish, yeah. the first thing I don't say is, Ugh, what a shit cast. Yeah. I mean, I look at that person enjoying themselves catching that fish, and that's what I notice. And I just wonder sometimes if if there's a way to get the rest of the sport on the same page. Because it just feels like there's so much criticism towards one another. Because we don't have that group environment and we don't have that team mentality 
just feels like sometimes we're really quick to judge each other and be really unkind to one another, especially on the internet these days. And mm -hmm. some people might say that I'm drawing a dividing line even just by mentioning it, but there is a division there. People are creating these boundaries and these barriers with others because there seems to be this shortage or lack of group group um, camaraderie. Mm -hmm. And it's very hurtful and very frustrating for me being so sensitive, sitting back and watching them all, wanting to bash their heads together and say, just get along because we need each other to be able to move forward in this sport. Coming up, Juan shares some thoughts on paying attention to detail, advantages to partaking in competition, and he surprises me with a fishery I had never heard of. Did the fishing in Spain ever pick up? Did it ever improve? Um, I just been in Spain and it's quite sad actually. What's going on? Yeah, no good. How? I went to um, I went to my old club and they having a serious meeting and I was there, you know, like they want to interrupt. I was in the bar just kind of listening and they were saying they only come fish they said only come fish five days a year. And I was looking and said, nah. I said, yeah. What do you mean? You only come a lot a lot to fish but uh, well, not, not not in the whole of Spain, but in some areas of Spain where I come from, the fishing is so bad, so bad that you only can fish two months. I think it's May and June for trout, and in those two months, you only can fish five days. Wow, I've never heard of anything like that in my life. Now, is the water in Spain private? No, it's publicly owned. It's public water, yes. and they've made it so that you can only fish for wow now when did that happen uh, this this is uh, well i believe the last few seasons or maybe a few years ago then they closed the season for three consecutive years does this have something to do with the amount of anglers are there more anglers now than there used to be they don't know they don't really know what's the cause but they're talking about the temperature of the water. Right. They're talking about the rain is not coming where it should came. So it came to uh, a big amount of rain when it shouldn't come as well. Mm -hmm. They're talking about, about pollution, they're talking about pressure, they're talking about a lot of things. But I have I have the fortune to to meet a, a guy from a small village. Right. So small village, he knows a little tiny creek in the middle of Norway, where there's no pressure, there no no pollution, no no um, agro uh, agriculture, agriculture, no birds, nothing. The fishing is not good that either. Uh, so, what does it cost for a resident to go fishing for an annual license? I don't know. I wouldn't be able to tell you, but not much. Okay. Not much. Is there is there an uproar there? Are people really upset that they can't fish for more than five days? Or do they understand? Well, you just put it this way. If you've been three seasons where you're not allowed to fish, and the next season they give you five days, will you be happy? Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes I would be. So you see how we see? Yeah. It's different. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's not all it's not all <coughs> Spain, but it's what I... I mean, i just been there now for six weeks. Mm -hmm. I heard a few things, but... I, I got a little bit like, you know, a little bit upset. Yeah. Well, what's the number one outdoor activity in Spain? 
outdoor. Yeah. Uh, then is a siesta outdoor. Siesta, siesta? siesta. like sleeping. Yeah, siesta in the in the on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> what is it, honestly? Yeah. Siesta. Siesta is the the favorite sport in Spain. Yeah, outdoor. Yeah. Has it always been, or would you have? Oh, only only in good weather. Uh, with bad weather is indoor. <laughs> so the number one activity is sleeping. I think so. <laughs> That's <Yes>. awful. <laughs> but when the rivers were open, do you think that a lot more people were really enthusiastic about spending time outside in general? Yeah, we we outdoor people in Spain. We like being out outside all the time. What do you hear the guys say needs to be done that's not being done? Look, the the only thing I know is the rivers there that are wonderful. Um, we have native Atlantic salmon in Spain. Wait. In north of Spain. Always? Yeah. There's native to Spain. And they're anadromous, they go to the ocean? Yeah. And they come back? Yeah. Atlantics? Yeah. Well, how big do they get? Well, they used to be big. Yeah. Now they're getting smaller. Are they getting caught up in bycatch or are they getting intercepted when they migrate out in the ocean? Well, the, the, the thing is, is uh, they, they, they build a lot of, um, how do you call it, like uh, dams and the, and the rivers. They obviously, they reduce the space where the sun can go upstream. Right. Okay, that's one. They do a lot of uh, netting. Yeah. In the, in the mouth of the rivers. Right. Illegal fishing. Mm. Pollution, pressure. Maybe I'm the only one, but why did why have I never heard of Spain having Atlantic salmon? Okay, the first Atlantic salmon fossil where it was found. I don't know where. A few years ago, was north of Spain. Really? Yeah. So a few years ago, when I when I, I don't know now, maybe somebody found another fossil, maybe somewhere else, but that was Spain. So, but, but, but you do your research and have a look. Is there a book on that? I don't know, probably. That's amazing. I've never heard of anything like that. Tell um, me, tell me, hit, hit, hit me with all the yeah, stuff. Um, in, the, in, the, in the old days when they were making the, the, the roads in north of Spain, you know, I think probably in the 30s, you have a lot of, imagine a lot of people working on the road, making the roads hot, cold, working... The workers were on a strike a few times because well, they were sick of eating Atlantic salmon every day. And what, what time period would this be? I, I would guess in the 30s, maybe. Wow. Maybe the 20s, maybe early 900s, maybe, yeah. you know? Yeah. You know, when they make, you know, those days when the, the, when the, when the almost automotive industry started. Did, Heming did Hemingway ever fish for Atlantic salmon? Oh, yeah. In Spain? I, I'm pretty sure they... Uh, Ernest fished for a lot of fish in Spain, yeah. He was fishing in one of our favorite rivers, El Irati, Irati, yeah. So obviously the dams were going to be detrimental to that run. It's happened in other places in the world where the mm. dams slowly just yes. wipe out run full runs. What else is interesting that the world doesn't know about Atlantic salmon in Spain? Um, uh, you, you, Spain have a dictator, so many people... I, uh, I guess some people will be um, familiar with the civil war in Spain. Mm -hmm. It was 1936 until 1939. And, and 
after the Civil War, we have a dictator, was Francisco Franco. So he used to go fishing in the north, north of Spain, and, and I have somebody with a rod. So when that person hooks an Atlantic salmon we have on, they just say, my general, the fish is ready for you. So he used to go there, walk, pick up the rod, and land the fish. Ah, okay, that's amazing. That sounds like the royalty story. Do people ever go to Spain as a destination, specifically to catch Atlantic salmon? From different parts of Europe? Yeah. From France, yes, because it's close. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, historically, Atlantic salmon fishermen in the UK did a lot of fishing with double hand rods. Correct. Did they do that in Spain? No. Oh, sorry, Colby's home, so he's extremely excited. It's dinner time. So, back to double hand rods. They did not use the double hand rods. No, because you fish for salmon in, in, in pools, so big holes. Like stagnant water? Yeah, well, yes, kind of a little, you know, like you go the river and then you got a big hole, salmon tend to go there. But is there any influence from the, from the UK in Spain, specifically when it comes to fishing? No. Let's talk about Italy for a second. Yes. You're very close to Italy. Yeah, very close. The best fly lines in the world are made from Italian silk. Did that give Spain an advantage? We use, we use silk lines in competition. If I have to take a commit to say something, I would say Spanish team will be the team that use the majority of uh, silk lines. They still use silk lines? Oh, yes. Why? Question for you. Do you yeah. fish with silk lines, silk lines for trout with a dry fly? I'm only fish for them with Atlantic salmon. Ah, oh, with a dry fly? No, that would be awful. Okay. Well, that is the advantage. What? How? Okay. Then, well, this is funny because I, I mentioned that to a few guys. Like, they know a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot about fly fishing. Right. And they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't know because they don't use it. Sick line has a massive, 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 massive uh, advantage over a traditional fly line in many conditions. For example. Picture this, pool, calm pool, you have your sick line, you pick up, you make a full cast, what's happening with all the water from the fly line, splash in the pool, yeah? Yeah. So what's happening with the fish? It's spooked. Spooked. Especially in still water. Exactly. If you do that with a sick line, there is no water coming out because they don't absorb the water. There's no water. You're saying that silk lines don't absorb the water? I'm saying that they, when, you, when you do the pickup, yeah. and you make your false cast over the pool, right. there's no water coming down. The flower line is protected by the Vaseline special. Okay, so they're greasing their lines. They're greasing the lines. Okay, got it. So they don't, there's no water there. Right. There's water repellent. Of course. Okay, that's, that's Are they using Vaseline to grease? We use a special, 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 special Vaseline. The one I have at home, it comes from France and it's been used for how do you call the how do you call it the the cow the cows? Ooh. Um, udders. Udders, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
for some some shepherds in the Pyrenees, they use a special Vaseline to give it to their cows for their for, for their how do you call that thing? For for you're just trying to get me to talk dirty now. No, I don't. <laughs> and the nipple, the nipple, the nipple, yeah. the nipple, nipple for. for for them not, not to crack, to protect them. Ah, yeah, of course. Yeah? So that's a special Vaseline. So that Vaseline is is not at, is at, is natural, it's not artificial, and it doesn't damage the zinc lines. Wow, this is great. Yeah, that's great. So it's water repellent, so therefore the water does not splash on the pool, thus but scaring what, the fish. When you make a false cast. Yeah. Right. You, can you picture this? Yes, I can. Okay. So you're saying when you're false casting, the water usually will spray off and land back into the water. But the option with a, a normal line, you will be you facing the face, you do your presentation mm -hmm. before you make a false cast. Instead of facing the face, let's face let's say ninety degrees. Mm -hmm. So you make your false cast at ninety degrees, or let's say forty five degrees. Yeah. Back cast and the delivery cast goes to your target. Right. Can you picture that? Yes, I can. Okay. Yeah, change direction. Yeah. yeah. But the change direction only for the 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 false cast. Right. The delivery cast it goes where the target is. Right. So just for people who are listening, what you're saying is, as you aerialize your line, your back cast is going in one angle, but your forward cast is going on an opposite angle. Yeah. It's not like you're casting twice, you're casting once with a change of direction. The, the, the purpose is, if I make my false cast on top of my target, the water is coming down. Yes. And it's going to spook the face. Ah, okay. But if my false cast is in a different direction, away from my face, the water is going to land in the, 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 the water, on the fly line, mm -hmm. is going to land away from my fish. I would never in a million years have thought of that. Yeah, but if you go to competition fishing... You have to think of that. You could add value to people's, hey, have you thought about it? Ah, I, didn't, I actually didn't leave this in competition. I made this with my, the masters that taught me in the Pyrenees. Right. So I have a very, very good school in there. So that's, that's just one advantage. Okay, to the silk lines. Okay, another advantage... As a casting instructors, we talk a lot of bendings, you know, all these kind of funny, funny things in there. I don't do that when I go fishing. Right. I go very close to the fish, like four meters from the fish, and I catch my fish just there. I don't have to worry about all those. That's, that's the way I catch fish. Very, very close, extremely close. If you use a silk line, and you say you have a different currents, and you face upstream, and then you put your dry fly attached to a normal fly line and another fly attached to the silk line and you make the same cast you will observe how the fly attached to the plastic fly line comes downstream faster than the fly line uh, that the fly attached to the silk line why is that? question for you, why is that? <laughs> Well, I would assume that it's because the, the new fly line, the plastic one, doesn't have the texture to drag it or slow it down? You displace the drag. Okay, so the texture. That's the drag. With the zig lines, 
is much better presentation and the drag dragging that doesn't go to, because this is less surface on the water so the fly line it gets affected less in a thick line than a plastic line ah this is really interesting this is we're talking about world-class fly casting here or world-class fly fishing the best of the best right you're already starting to make this whole competitive fly fishing thing sound a whole lot more appealing are there more advantages to fishing with a silk line? Presentation. Do they have to string out their, their lines and grease them? That's the disadvantages. Right. So Does that cut the, off their time? The, the advantages is much better presentation, delicate presentation. The disadvantages is that you need to get your fly line after you finish extended dry it and grease it. Right. So that's more maintenance. Yeah, yeah, but if it's worth it. Ah, we're back to the whole is it worth it question. I see how you work, tricky man from Spain. <laughs> okay, now what about bamboo rods? Is there an advantage in competitive fly fishing to using bamboo rods? I don't know, what do you think? Well, I would imagine that you would be less likely to break off on fish when you were to set the hook. Yeah. So do they use bamboo rods? Okay, that would be the advantage. Yeah. What would be the disadvantage? So everything's slower, and therefore your flies in the water. Yeah. What would be another disadvantage when you hook a big fish? Well, it's going to take you longer to land that yeah. fish. Yeah, so we're talking about efficiency. Okay, so they use primarily graphite rods. Oh, that's what do you they? Do you think. Do they? Or are they using glass? Oh. <laughs> you know, what about if you use a graphite rod with a very soft tip? Is that what they use? Well, just picture this. Mm-hmm. Long rod, a stiff back, soft tip. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to break any fish, are we? Because, no. because I'm going to absorb everything with the tip. Right. I'm going to strike very quick and very fast. The tip is going to absorb the impact. And the stiff back, what it's going to do? Fight the fish. Right. Uh-huh. Now, what about this Chetnin thing? Yes. I know when I tried it, mm-hmm. it was incredibly efficient. Um, I, so, sorry, an American guy showed you how to do it, yeah? Yes. Good, good. <laughs> I just wanted to check that, yeah? <laughs> and there was no casting. Yeah. Uh, is that pretty standard in competitive fly fishing? Is there often not a lot of casting? Obviously... The majority of people that compete in fly fishing, they're very, 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 very good fishermen. Right. But normally, this is changing now, but normally they don't spend a lot of time fly casting. They don't spend a lot of time fly casting. Uh, There's basically two groups of people, people that fish and people that cast. It's very rare to meet people that excellent at both now obviously when you face in competition you face with time mm-hmm. time is crucial so how do you cast how do you make 54 casts per minute well by casting as little as possible or having a short line at all times 54 cast per
a minute, this big channel. That's almost one a second. So how do you do it? What would I do? What would I do? What would I do? 54 casts per I'd minute. have to keep broadcasting. Can you broadcast? Can you make 54 broadcasts in a minute? One. And fish? Just cast mm -hmm. and fish. Mm -hmm. So... Fishing, fishing. Cast and fish. Fishing, fishing. We're fishing. Hold on. One, two, no. No. No, I can't. No, hold on, let me try this one. You can, but you don't fish. You no, just, no. Just... let me try picking up and laying down. Are we dry flies or wet flies? Anyway. Well, wet flies take time to sink. Dry flies, I might do really short, quick, pick up high trajectory, back cast, and lay yeah, back down. Yeah. I could probably do 50, 54 of those in a minute. Could you do me a favor? Mm. Could you try and let me know if you could achieve it or not? <laughs> well, tell me, what do they do? I mean, 50... And why do they have to get 54 casts in a minute? Okay, number one, you can do it moving your wrist. One, mm. two... So I have my arm completely extended. Yeah. And I'm only moving my wrist. Okay, so really short movements. Yes, wrist. Yeah. Okay. If I use... French techniques, that's what we, we teach at the, uh, the school that we have in the Blue Mountains. We, we teach Czech nymphine, Polish nymphine, French nymphine, Spanish nymphine. We teach all those techniques. If we use just your wrist, let's use French nymphine techniques. We use a very skinny water. The flies are minimum, extremely little. So you don't have problems to spook fish when the fly hits the water. Mm -hmm. But it's such a skinny water, the fly doesn't have to go down for the fish to go and take it. Right. So we covered a lot of water. Short cast, one, nothing, two, I'm covering water all the time. How many books have you read about fly casting? Was it, don't know, move the wrist? Yeah. Well, all of them. For the most part. I mean, there are reasons why you want to have some wrist movement, but... What you just demonstrated to me, which was extending your arm and just flicking your wrist, uh, apart from Hank Patterson videos, there's virtually nobody who's going to suggest that you do that. So that answers the question about casting. But where does the 54 per minute come from? Is that the recommended guideline? No, that's coming by observation that I have with the French national team. Ah. So French national team, the best team in the world. Uh, so I have the fortune to, to work with, as you say, the Spanish national team and also the English national team. So yeah, I was going to ask you about that. As a technical director, and I see how both teams work completely differently as well. Is there, what's the biggest difference between the two countries? The, the, I'm not going to say who is doing what, but I saw one country working as a country, and I saw another country working as an individual. Do you think that's a cultural thing, in general, apart okay, from Okay, I just let's put it this way. We're going to select six anglers to represent our country. But only five, they can compete. One is going to be the reserve. Ah, okay. Is that what happens? Yeah. So, you face the whole year. You give away your weekends, you compete, you travel, you spend your money, you spend your petrol, you spend your time, you fish, 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 fish. You've been selected to go, let's say, to Norway. Yeah. 
and you go there and you do not compete. You're benched. Yes. Do you know going into it that you're the guy on the bench? That was part of my role. So what did you, was it like a counseling role? Well, you need to select who is going to compete. Well, actually, that's not my role. That's the captain's role and responsibility. Oh, okay. So it's not like all year long, you know you're the benched guy. Some countries, they know you are the bench guy. But other countries, they say, we don't know yet. Let's go. Let's bring a team of six. You're good at legs. You're good at rivers. You are very short. You cannot really fish deep rivers. I mean, you can, but if you go too deep, the, the corner is going to push you down. That's why some countries like Japan, with the guys not big, don't have that mass, they struggle with big rivers in some European countries. It's not that it's bad anglers, it's that physically they have a disadvantage. Right. But, hey, let's put those guys in a very skinny water, short profile, mm. lightweight, they exceed so how do you break it to the guy that he's not going to get to compete? Exactly. How do you? Well, you need to do it before you go to the World Championship. You cannot have those decisions on, on, on the competition. Okay. And, and it happened to me before that you got the reserve that is gone to a country as a reserve. But during the practice waters, because the teams, they spend a few days fishing the waters or the similar waters just to get used to the country and all that, maybe that reserve catch more fish than the, the actual, all the members of the teams. And they say, okay, I'm good at this country, I should compete, yeah? Yeah. But if that doesn't happen, how are you going to feel? Well, I feel bad for my team. If I was the right person for the job. Exactly. <laughs> but the captain already said, well, you already come here as a reserve. These guys are going to compete. So some, some countries, they just bring five anglers. Uh, That's it. And the captain is the reserve. Did you ever want to compete? I love the technical director role. Because when you compete... You spend three hours in a section of the river and that's where you can see water and fish. As a technical director, you see the whole picture. I can be sitting here watching you, how you fish, taking some notes. I go to the next bit and say, Pascal Cunard, three times gold medalist, and I can learn all what he's doing in three hours. Ah. Or I can go next bit and see another country, well, how many fish is he catching? You talk to the controller, it's got three. Oh, that's really good. But you go to the next one, it got 12. Oh, what is he doing that he's not doing? What is that guy doing? What that funny technique? What is he doing? He's not to catch anything doing that. Oh, he got 23 so far. Oh, oh what's he doing? Yeah, what's what, he doing? What's the average age group? Is there an average age group of people who compete? Because I would think it would be a lot of older guys who would be competing. We can just put it this, this way. It's getting very, very demanding. It's getting demanding? It's very demanding. It's very physical. It's three hours non-stop. Oh. And after those three hours, you have a break, you might have your lunch, and you have another three crazy hours. And then you go to the hotel, you have your dinner, and you tie flies. Okay, so how did you get involved with the English team? Yeah, good question. Um, 
actually I, I was I was living in England um, through previous competitions I a few competitors from the English national team they, they knew me and Simon Goswick was, was the captain in that occasion and they requested if I could form part of the team in a, in a way so Simon contacted me and said well, we would we'll like you to join us and is any chance for you to help us and I say only one condition because I'm not, I'm not British and Spanish and I said I don't want to be the guide I just want to be officially member of the team as a director yeah and they say okay we, we have to ask the federation and the federation says yeah no problem whatever England can do to win we do it wow who owns the team in England? Ah, uh, yes, yes, the no, just the federation. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, they give me the honor to to carry the 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 flag. So that was was a good, great experience. Great people. And the Spanish team didn't mind that you did that. Ah, uh, they did. How did you get around that? Ah, uh, well, and the Aussies, they 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 did as well. They did what? They they mind as well. Because I, I was, you know, I was living, in theory, I was living in Australia, but I was in that moment living in England. So. Does Australia have a team? Yes. Oh, yeah. so you're just kind of laying in a couple different beds. Yeah. Where do you feel like you're from? When, yeah. Where, in your head, are you Australian? Are you Spanish? Are you just one of Carmen? I think like a fishing bird. A bird, yeah. Yeah, you know, a, a batros. An albatross, yeah. Well, you fly and you go far away and you come back and where, where are you? you? You go there, you go there, where you follow in the fish. Right, oh, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Well, that's good. Okay, I'll start thinking about that. I'll think of myself as a big fish-eating bird. Is there anything else that you, A, want to tell me or B, would like to ask me before I go and feed you dinner? Because I feel like a really rude host having you over for dinner and I haven't fed you yet. <laughs> uh, I think I'm ready for dinner now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I talk enough. Yeah, this said at least the, the, the beef and the lobster. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for letting me bait you over here. <laughs> Thank Thanks, you. Juan. Okay, let's eat. <laughs> and that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening and I hope you tune in again soon. <laughs>